Take your seats. We've got a lot we want to cover tonight. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4, it's a long chapter, 37 verses, but it's one of those chapters that you definitely want to get through it all together at the same time. Daniel 4. I absolutely love Daniel chapter 4. We've talked about this for weeks. Nebuchadnezzar, the man that made the golden statue that said everybody has to bow down to it, then through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, who in Daniel chapter 1 sacked Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, who in Daniel 2 had this great dream about prophecy. He finally gets saved in Daniel chapter 4. And what you have here in Daniel chapter 4 is you have his testimony. It's written from a first person's perspective. This is his testimony of what it was like when he got saved. Now, if you've ever listened to Christian radio or TV or even out here at church when we have people get up and share their testimonies before, this is Nebuchadnezzar putting pen to paper as the Spirit leads him to write how he came to know God. And that's the neat thing about this is because you see this man who for decades, decades, battled God, played around with God, used God, finally came and hit his knees and comes to know God personally. And I've said before, and I will repeat it again, I have no doubt in my mind we will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And what an amazing thing that is to hear about and to see. So we get to hear his testimony of how he came to know the Lord. Now, I've heard pastors teach before in testimonies. All testimonies are the same. You're going to hell, you got saved by Christ, now you're going to heaven. Now the details of how bad you were, everybody's a little different on that. The details of how you came to know Christ is always a little different. But you eventually come to know Christ. And the end result is always the same. You get to go to all eternity for heaven through Jesus Christ. So Nebuchadnezzar, he does a typical testimony. He talks about what it was like before he got saved. He talks about what it was like when he got saved. And he ends with him coming to know who God is personally. I absolutely love this chapter. And it's neat to think, and this is a point I'm going to repeat numerous times tonight, so get ready for repetition. This went on for decades. For decades, God was working on his heart before Nebuchadnezzar finally came to know the Lord. So with that being said, if you have a loved one, be it a spouse, a child, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a mother, or father, who is not walking with the Lord and you've been praying for them for decades, take heart. Nebuchadnezzar came to know the Lord. Your loved one, I don't know what will it take for them to get to know Jesus, but they can come to know Christ if their heart is open to that. Nebuchadnezzar finally had his heart open to who the Lord was and came to know it. God worked on him for decades, and we get to see the blessing of that tonight. So let's just jump right into this. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Stop right there. When your life has been changed by Christ, you want to tell people about it. It's just an offshoot of being saved. So often we read books about how to witness. You hear pastors give preaching messages on how to witness. The truth of the matter is, when Christ has touched your heart personally, you want to tell other people about what he has done. I don't need to read a book to tell me how to talk about my wife. I love my wife. I want to tell you about my wife. I want to tell you about my kids. They've touched me personally. They're important to me. Now, some of the details of how to communicate the gospel, you may need a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of refreshing, but the idea of wanting to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that is a side effect of just being saved. Christ has so much so touched your life, you want to touch other people. If you want to be able to spread the gospel, you have to personally know the gospel. Nebuchadnezzar now personally knows God, and he says in verse 2, I want to tell you about it. Verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Here's his before Christ life. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing 
in my palace. We'll stop right there for a second. Verse 4, this is why a lot of people don't come to know Christ. We've talked about this before. You go to them and you say, you know what? Your life is falling apart. Your life is miserable without Jesus. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart and only the Lord can fill it. They sit there and they look at you and say, no, not really. My life is good. My family is good. My wife is good. My kids are good. My job is good. I don't have some God-shaped hole in my life. I'm really happy where I'm at. Verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he's really happy. He's chilling out at home. He's flourishing in his palace. He's got no problems. Verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts in my bed and the visions in my head troubled me. Verse 5, now he's troubled. See, this is what happens. The world lives a lot in verse 4. Things are going good. But I'm telling you right now, for believers and non-believers, you're going to run into verse 5. You're going to have troubling visions, and you're going to have thoughts that make you afraid. You live in a troubling world. And I think one of the problems we do with Christianity is sometimes we don't make that abundantly clear. So I will make that clear to you right now. Even if you know Christ, you're going to have trouble in your life. The difference between a saved person and a non-saved person, when I have trouble in my life, I go to Jesus, he helps me through it. A non-saved person, they don't have any place to go. You're going to have trouble. Jesus came right out and said in John 16:33, in this world you will have tribulation. But then he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So what we have here in verse 5 this is a God thing in verse 5. God is trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Now think back to when you got saved. What, what got your attention? Did you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor? Did you have something in your life where it completely fell apart? Something happened to one of your kids? Something happened to your spouse? Something happened at work? Your life fell apart and you had fear and you had trouble in verse 5. Now the question comes of what are you going to do about it? Well, let's see what Nebuchadnezzar does. Verse 6. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, which is another word for Babylonians, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen in its interpretation. So what happens when you're troubled in fear that you see that Nebuchadnezzar went through in verse 5? First thing he does is he seeks answers from the world. He calls in all his smart people. They can't give him hope. So once he calls in all the smart people, what does he do? Finally, in verse 8 and 9, he knows Daniel. He remembers Daniel from the previous stuff. Daniel will be able to give me some peace. I'm going to tell you right now, I run into a lot of Nebuchadnezzars, a lot of them, where the going gets tough, verse 5, they start showing up at church, they start calling the pastor, and then they really need support and encouragement, and they say, verse 9, I know, I know it works. I know it does. When I start coming out to church, things go better. I know if I ask you for prayer, you guys pray, things go better. And next thing you know, life's going good. And guess what happens when life goes good? They go right back to the old lifestyle because their heart was not personally changed by Christ. There's this one guy, and I love him, and I've driven by his house. I don't know how many times every time I drive by, my heart breaks. Years ago, out of the blue, he calls me, just completely out of the blue. Found the number, found the church. He called, and we had this hour-and-a-half conversation about how his life is falling apart. We prayed. I encouraged him. He felt so much better. In fact, he felt so good. Guess what happened? He didn't need to come out to church because he felt so good. Fine. Years go by. Calls me out of the blue again. Life is really falling apart. This time a phone call went work. Can we meet in your office? We came to my office. We sat down. He had printed out this single-spaced page after page after page of what was troubling him in life. We sat down. We went through it. And once again, he felt so good. Guess what happened? He's never come back. And I'm a Daniel. I don't mean that the way it sounds. When he has a hard time, he calls. So what would we do? We put a little spiritual Band-Aid on him, and he feels better, and he walks away. 
See, the same thing happened here with Nebuchadnezzar. Anytime Nebuchadnezzar was having a bad time, call Daniel. He makes me feel better. He gives me a little bit of peace of mind. And what happens is sometimes we become Daniels to people, which is not necessarily wrong. But what we're going to see here in a little bit, Daniel gives an altar call to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel finally says, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know God. And I can put little spiritual band-aids on people, but ultimately my job is to present them to Jesus and introduce the two. And hopefully then that they won't have a relationship. So he doesn't know what else to do. He calls Daniel. I'm having a hard time. Daniel, help me. So he wants to use God again. Because this is what happened with his first dream 20 plus years ago. He had a bad dream. God helped him through it. This is what happened with the whole fiery furnace thing in chapter 3. God helped him through it. Now just think back to your life. How many times did God help you through something and you just kind of kept using him? He's there when I need him and I'm thankful for that. To be quite blunt, maybe some people here tonight are just using God again. It's a rough season of life. I'm just going to turn to the Lord. He'll get me through it and then I'll get back to my regular life. Well, that doesn't work with Nebuchadnezzar this time. Verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss verse. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts. On the grass of the earth, let his heart be changed from that of a man, let it be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. I find verse 18 fascinating, because this is at least the second time he's mentioned it. Jump back to verse 9 and also to verse 8, three times actually. God's in you. Did you know anybody like that? They're not saved, not really walking with the Lord, but they really respect you. They really respect that, that God's important to you, that you read the Bible, that you pray. They really like that. I've shared with you before, I have people that are atheists that have asked me to pray for them. That just blows my mind. They see something in you, and they realize they don't have it, but yet they really don't want it themselves. I'm going to tell you right now, that's one of the most frustrating things of Christianity, is to have the answer in your hand of what God can do for you and how God can change your life, but yet you care enough to come talk to me about it, but you never care enough to commit to it. Nebuchadnezzar, now for decades, have had this little on-again, off-again relationship with God and with Daniel. He sees Daniel. He knows God's in Daniel. He knows God works through Daniel. He knows Daniel brings him peace. But he never commits the God of Daniel. This is finally the breaking point. Verse 19, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Why did his thoughts trouble him? Because Daniel knew what this dream meant. He knew. And Daniel truly cared. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Now verse 19 is not Daniel just kissing up to the king. My personal opinion, this is Daniel who truly cares for this man's soul. I, I, I firmly believe that. And this is something I think that we lack in Christianity. 
We care for morals. We care for truth. And we want people to get saved. But just be blunt with yourself. Does your heart truly break knowing that those people you work with, you live with, that are friends and family, that if they die, they're going to hell? I, I truly believe in verse 19, Daniel's heart broke because he realized what this dream means. We, we know it breaks because jump ahead, if you will, to verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and in your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 27, that's an altar call. King, get right with God. You know, and I do that sometimes. I've actually did this one time. There's a, there a couple that was coming out here numerous times for marriage counseling. I had an on-again, off-again relationship with, with the church, etc. Once again, when the going was rough, come back out. When things got better, we'd patch it up. they go back. It was many, many years ago. The office was up there, actually, in, in the little office. And they came and we sat down for a numerous marriage counseling session. And I finally sat down with them and I said, guys, I want to show you my calendar. And I got out my calendar that I have. And I showed them every time that we met for marriage counseling. I said, do you guys see what happens? I said, we meet two, three times. And then two, three months go by and everything's great. Then we meet two, three times. Two, three months go by and everything's great. I said, I finally told them, and this was actually the last marriage counseling session we did. I said, guys, I care deeply about your marriage, but unless you're willing to put into practice what we talk about, there's nothing else I can say to you. And I didn't mean that to be mean. I didn't mean to say that I'm so busy I can't meet. I can meet. But there reaches a point of listen. You have to really hear what's being said. I think Daniel in verse 27, he reaches a point of saying, Nebuchadnezzar, come on, man. We did the fiery furnace thing. We did the dream 20 years ago. I've obviously been around you for decades. You listen to me. You trust me. You respect me. Verse 27, just get right with God. Just get right with God here. And that's the whole point. Now, let's take a quick break, and we'll get to what the dream means and representation here. Has anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything we covered thus far? Ryan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the translation thing. And that's kind of the interesting thing, that the hard part about all these different translations. What happens is, mine's New King James, and depending on your translation, be it NIV, King James, New King James, what happens is they have all these different manuscripts. There's something called the majority text, and there's also something called the New Greek text. And what happens is, depending on what text they used, depends on how that translation sometimes comes across. What happens is, either way, New King James translates it, Holy God, King James translates it, holy gods. Either way, what it's saying is the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar sees something in Daniel. Now, New King James takes it to mean that he sees God working in Daniel. King James takes it to see that Nebuchadnezzar sees gods working in Daniel. Either way, Nebuchadnezzar is seeing something holy and spiritual in Daniel that he does not have. That's kind of the hard part about translations when you try to go through these different things. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yeah, Marcus. Yeah. Him. My personal opinion is because if you go from verses 20 through 26, when the interpretation is there, it shows to me the dream is showing that the it is really personified by Nebuchadnezzar. So I think what is happening is as the dream goes on, the interpretation is becoming clearer that this dream is not just about a tree, it's about a person. And so it starts out like there's this tree that's happening to this tree, and then what happens is as the dream goes on, as Daniel's giving interpretation, I think even Nebuchadnezzar realizes it, he's realizing it's really talking about him. And so I believe the it to him is just personifying that this really is dealing with the person, not just a tree itself. Because that phrase, which I think is very important here, and we're going to use it as a segue to that, if you look in verse 15, what Marcus just mentioned, nevertheless leave the stump. You can look here at your sheets. That stump is a representation of Nebuchadnezzar. And what you see what happens is God stripped him of everything. It has completely stripped him of everything. Go to verse 20. 
The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelled, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you. See, to me, the it in verses 20 and 21 that you're talking about, Marcus, becomes the him in verse 22. It's you, O king, who have grown strong and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. Verse 25, They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Verse 26, And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. The stump is Nebuchadnezzar. Now I love this. Leave the stump. That shows me God's tough love. That shows that God loves me so much he will completely and utterly strip me of everything but leave the stump He's not doing it because he's mean and angry and he's not just the grumpy neighbor that lives upstairs. He loves me. And so therefore, goes back to all these verses we talked about. Look at your sheets here real quick. Look at the Luke 20 verse. Whomever falls on the stone will be broken, but whomever it falls will grind him to power. We talked about this that, that a couple weeks ago. When it comes to Christ, it's very simple. You either fall on Christ and are broken or Christ falls on you and breaks you. I mean, it's only one of two options. And when you fall on Christ and are broken, it's where you reach such a point in your life where you say, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I fall on Christ and my life is broken, but in a good way. Look at the other verses we put down there. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. We've got to put Ezekiel 33, 11 with that. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but if the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. This is a pet peeve of mine. Sometimes Christianity is presented as God likes sending people to hell. That always ticks me off. Hell was originally created, the Bible says, for Satan and the fallen angels. That's the purpose of hell. The intention of hell was never for us to go to hell. In fact, according to God, we're supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. That's what he created it for. It was pleasure and fun and enjoyment in the presence of God. But when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, sin came in. The penalty of sin is death. Death rests in hell. So when someone gets this mindset of, I can't believe in a God that allows kids to get cancer and kittens to die and people to die, I would find it hard to believe in a God like that too. That's not God's intention. That's the cursed fallen world we live under. The God I know from the Bible tells me in 2 Peter 3.9 he wants everybody to get saved. The God I know in Ezekiel 33.11 says I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says I want everybody to get saved. He goes, if anybody should have died, I mean if anybody deserved hell, wouldn't that have been Nebuchadnezzar? I mean if, if you want a further study, go read the end of Chronicles to what Babylon did to these kings. It's awful. There was one king, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Zedekiah, that they took him, chained him, put him on his knees, put all his boys in front of him, then systematically murdered every one of his boys in front of him, and then cut out his eyes. So the last thing he saw were his kids being killed. That, that's Babylon. The guy getting saved here in chapter 4, just last chapter, was so ticked that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went and bowed down. He says, throw him in the furnace. 
If you want to make a list of people that deserved hell, Nebuchadnezzar would be top 20. God loved him. God cared so much about him, he says, I'm still working with him. I'm still working with him. We have a tendency as Christians to reach a point of saying, that person has so wronged me, that person has so hurt me, that person has so given up on God, I don't care what happens to him. That's not the mindset of Jesus. Jesus wept over Jerusalem the day before he was crucified because he cared so much about him. Turn, if you will, please, to Psalm 119. We need to build on this real quick. Psalm 119. If you're looking for a fun study, Psalm 119 is the chapter for you, longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. Great chapter. It's all about God's Word. A whole chapter devoted to God's Word. Well, what you see here, smack dab in the middle of those 176 verses, is this great little passage that we're going to read. Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Stop right there in verse 68. A lot of times people come and they ask why questions. Why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? Why was my kid born this way? Why? I, I, I always tell people I can't answer why questions. There's two things I can do. I can do this. I can tell you Psalm 119.68 says that God is good and does good. And I can tell you Jeremiah 29.11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you peace. Those are the things I do know. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. But I know that God is good, and he does good. Verse 68, teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fast as grease. heart is as fast as grease, but I delight in your law. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Look at 71. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I know people that got saved because they got cancer. I know people that got saved because a very close loved one then died. Their afflictions led them to Christ. Now, it's easy for me to say that as I stand up here behind the pulpit and I pretend to have all the answers. But God's word tells us in verse 67 and 71 that sometimes afflictions that happen in your life that are not fun nor enjoyable actually take you deeper in your walk in relationship with Christ. Nebuchadnezzar had to go through a horrible affliction to finally come to know God. What was the affliction that he went through? Jump back to Daniel 4. Let's see what happens to this guy. Daniel 4, please. We left off in verse 27. So let's see what the affliction was. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. Most commentators believe seven years, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. That is his salvation moment. That is the time God got his attention. Verse 289, I think this is important. God gave him 12 more months. See, we sit here and, and we talk about how mean God is. God told him through Daniel, this is what's going to happen. And then he waited another 12 months for it to happen. Why did God wait 12 months for it to happen? It goes back to 2 Peter 3.9. God is patient. He was wanting Nebuchadnezzar in that 12 months to come to know him on his own. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to. So therefore, guess what happened? God had to do this. On a much smaller scale, this happens in the Irvin house all the time. One of the little boys is doing something wrong in the other room. I sit on the couch. I say, Layden, come to Daddy. I wait. 
he comes to daddy, there's usually grace. If I have to get up off the couch, especially if I'm watching a show I like, if I have to go get him, there is not grace. I'm telling you that right now. Same thing with God. God is sitting on couch in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, come sit with me. I'll wait 12 months for you. After 12 months, we've got to do this the hard way. And that's exactly what happened here. He did it the hard way. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He went crazy. I don't know what else to say. He, he's, he's crawling around in the grass. Uh, his, his nails are growing out. His hair is growing out because he's not cutting it. He's eating grass. He lost it. He, he completely lost it for, it looks like, seven years. This is the most powerful man in the world. Now, we throw that name around a lot. You know, the President of the United States, whoever it is, is the most powerful man in the world. No, this man was the most powerful man in the world. This is the man that tore down kingdoms. This is the man whose kingdom was Babylon that was made out of gold, which represents it was the most amazing nation maybe ever. And for seven years, the king of Babylon was in the grass with his hair long and dew and drooly and... That's, that's what happened. I'm telling you right now, and this is highly paraphrased, it says it somewhere in the Bible, but it just basically says, don't mess with God. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. He's going to win. And, and what happened is Nebuchadnezzar, he messed with God. He did. He, he said, look at verse 30, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my body power and for the honor of my majesty? Didn't Daniel just tell him a year ago, King You've got a great kingdom, but it's God's kingdom that he gave to you. Didn't Daniel tell him back in Daniel chapter 2, listen, the dream is, yes, you are the head of gold, but other nations are coming. God had told him these things. He never listened. So since he didn't listen, guess what happened? The rock fell on him and crushed him, but in a loving way. Look at verse 34. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That shows not only a physical lifting his eyes to heaven, but a spiritual, I believe, in his heart lifting his eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, just a quick reminder. Just jump back with me a couple chapters, if you will. Look at the end here of uh, chapter 2. Look at verse 47. Let's read some of the other statements that Nebuchadnezzar said. Verse 47 of Daniel 2. Truly your God is the God of gods, the King of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. Okay, so we like God then. Look at the end of Daniel chapter 3. We talked about this last week. Look at verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, etc., etc. You can't worship any other God, verses 28 and 29. Hey, what happens is, those are all facts. That's not faith. I know many people that have the facts of God down. And if you ask them, they'll say it. Well, I believe in God. I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe the Bible's true. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Those are all facts. They don't have faith. And I know people that believe that and they try to live the factual life. We need to live the life of faith. See, Nebuchadnezzar obviously knew who God was. He accepted God's ability and power. But it really wasn't until now that he really got it. Listen to the words he says now in verse 34 in the middle part. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Finally, he gets it. It's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and, the, and the among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was resorted to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, those who walk in pride he's able to put down. Now, you don't hear about this in the history books, that the king of Babylon got saved, but he did. It took decades. 
It took a lot of time. It took seven years of craziness. It took grace. It took patience. It took Daniel's witness. It is a work to have somebody come to know Christ. If you have a loved one in your life right now and you're kind of giving up hope and getting frustrated, Nebuchadnezzar, decades, seven years of affliction, they finally came to know the Lord. If you're sitting right now and you have a loved one that's being afflicted that doesn't know Christ, it's easy for us to sit there and say, Lord, what are you doing? They need to come to know you by good things. Bless their life. Maybe they need to come to know him by affliction. That's what had to happen in Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I know that sounds mean. I know that sounds rough. That's not the way I mean it. God loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to break him. And this is what I want to finish with. Turn with you, Will, with me to Jeremiah 18, please. Jeremiah 18. God loves us so much, he's willing to break us. Some of you here tonight were broken by the Lord, and that's how you came to know Christ. Some of you are here tonight, and you came to know the Lord because, you know what, you had the God-shaped hole, and your life was depressing and discouraging, and you heard about the hope of Jesus, and it gave you hope. That's how you came to know Christ. Some of you came to know Christ, and this is me. I remember Jim Crager uh, taught on hell, and I said, I don't know what I have to do, but I'll do whatever you say so I don't have to go to hell. And that's how I came to know Jesus. Some of you got saved because you were broken. You went through a Nebuchadnezzar. Look here at Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do this with you as the potter? says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Verse 4, some of us were marred. And so guess what happened? Verse 4, you break it, you start over. Some translations say in verse 4 that he broke it into pieces. That's exactly what God did in Nebuchadnezzar. He broke him. In a loving, graceful way, he broke Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar came to truly know who God was. Daniel, excuse me, Daniel 4 is one of the greatest testimonies in all the Bible. It's a wonderful testimony, and, it, and it's only as powerful as we make it to be when we really realize the decades that went into this, everything that went into this, to really see what God has done and what he's doing. And he still does the same thing today. He afflicts people out of love. He breaks people out of love because he realizes heaven, eternity, is so much more important than whatever was going on in this earth. And he agreed that with Nebuchadnezzar, and he used Daniel. So some of you may be a Nebuchadnezzar. You're in the process of being broken and afflicted. Boy, oh boy, you know what? God's doing it out of love. Some of you may be the Daniel. You see people being broken and afflicted, and you're just like verse 27, crying out, saying, just come to know the Lord. Whatever it is, the Spirit is working in people's lives, and we trust that God is moving and working, sometimes even when we don't see it. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Brian. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the... I don't know what the Constitution of Babylon allowed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. My personal opinion in something like this, it would be a really strange thing because the king of Babylon is just walking through the garden one day, and I'm sure he wasn't walking alone. I'm sure he had people around him because he's the king, and he's just saying, boy, look at Babylon, how great it is. Boom. I don't know. I don't know what happened for those seven years. We obviously know from chapter 5 that... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son takes over Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar dies. But we don't know for sure what happened during those seven years. That's an interesting question. Anybody else have anything? Yes, Howard. He was out to pasture. Yes, he was out to pasture. That is the truth. God loved him, but he was out to pasture. I like that. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Ah, Lord, you love Nebuchadnezzar and you love us. Lord, just thank you for that. And just pray that we'd always see your hand working in our lives for the good. It's hard to see that sometimes, Lord, but help us to trust you. And thank you for being a God that still sees people get saved. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.